This morning, we're gonna talk through shining the light briefly. One of the things you gotta remember, uh, Mark's gonna talk about this a little bit more next week, but when Jesus came into the world, he was born into some incredible conflict. You think we have conflict today, you think we have disease and problems. When Jesus was born, he was born into major conflict. God's people were almost, they were servants and slaves of, of Rome, pretty much, and it, it was a mess when Jesus was born. He was born to a virgin, he was born outside, it, it, a disaster. They had to move, they had to go be part of listening to the government and traveling to Bethlehem when they didn't want to go to Bethlehem to take a census. And then all the children were murdered that were two years and under. And like it, you couldn't get more conflict and more mess. And the reason is because his birth shone a light on human history. It was a moment where the angels rejoiced. We see those stories where crazy stuff happened because God was like, you know, the entire Old Testament was building to the moment when God would bring the second Adam. He would bring a Savior, a Messiah to us. And Jesus' conception and birth was that light. It was that moment that just shone bright. And Jesus' life then exposes us to what we truly believe. It's the light that shines and blinds us. And as you read in Scripture, whenever anybody came in contact with God or with an angel, they fell as dead men. There were great lights. It was blinding. It wasn't high five, hey bro, Jesus. That was not how it ever went down in Scripture. It's this sense that when you are, when you are really put in a bright light, there's not much you can do but turn away, right? Like watch. If I shine, oh yeah, see? You guys love it, don't you? Like, if I get that right in the camera, if I look right into the light, it's real nice. Just look in there and you'll have like this bright spot that won't disappear for a while, right? This is my super, this is actually not my brightest flashlight. It's my second brightest. Okay, I'm going to preach the rest of the service just like this. So, I'm just kidding. When you, when you come in contact with a bright light, it exposes everything. It, it makes you just cringe, And so when Jesus came into the world, that's exactly what happened. And then when Jesus was teaching about himself, he started to explain, and there's all this concept of light in the scripture. In John 10, which we'll be looking at this morning, you can turn there in your Bibles, John 10. You can also go online and click the link for the scriptures that we're going to use. Jesus is teaching. He just got done teaching about the fact that he is the great shepherd that has come for the sheep of Israel. Like like he is declaring himself to be God. He's declaring himself to be the Messiah. He is declaring and talking about all these crazy concepts. And everybody who's listening, especially the religious leaders, understand what he's saying. And look what it says. It says, again, a division took place among the Jews because of these words. Jesus was constantly causing division. It wasn't intentional. He didn't go around like, I'm going to try to cause this. I'm going to try to make people hate each other. But when God is present, there's no plan B. There's only plan A. And so when Jesus would teach or challenge something, it wasn't like you could look at him and say, you're wrong. I'm not doing that. That causes division. And so wherever Jesus went, he would give these teachings. He would tell what the scriptures really meant. He would say how they had been twisted by the religious leaders and been twisted by the culture, and he would bring clarity to those scriptures. And it always caused people to go, what in the world? And it caused division. 
You think we're divided today? No. We got way more unity today than, you, than they ever did at this time period. This was a mess, and what's coming is even a bigger mess for the people of God in the next 100 years. They watched their temple be torn down. The Jews are fighting with Christians. The Romans are fighting everybody. It's a disaster. And so here is Jesus. He's teaching. And then when we look, we kind of have this mentality in our culture today that why can't we just all get along? Why can't we just all be unified? Jesus prayed for unity. He wanted unity. But he said, I want them to be unified around the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. That's what will be unified. God, preserve them and help them be unified around the truth, not falsehood. And can I tell you, there's a lot of stuff that happens around this time of year in Christmas season where we talk about unity, 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 because we're just so tired of division that we start to compromise. Now, that doesn't mean we're not loving. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That doesn't mean they're not going to be mad at you for telling them the truth. It just means you pray for them. It means that you don't get to take vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. You see, that's what Jesus begins to teach. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Therefore, don't be afraid of them, the people that disagree, that want to cause division, since they, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He goes on to say, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. We're getting ready to go into the Christmas season. Some of you, it may be encouraging for you to go home. For me, it's very encouraging. I have two parents that love the Lord. They love me. They love their community. They have served God faithfully. It's very easy for me to go home and celebrate. My mom just turned 80 this week. Incredible celebration of her life that God has given to her. But for some of you, it may be very difficult for you to go home. For some of you, when you go home, it may be a war when you hit the door with your religious stuff. It may be a war for you when you go home because you think about the fact that Jesus just said that there will be people separated from him in hell, and those are your own family members, and you so want them to know Jesus. You so want them to have the confidence of heaven and the love that God extends, but you know they can't pay the price. They can't work their way to heaven. Jesus has to give them the free gift, and they have to take that gift just like a Christmas gift. It would be ridiculous for you to say, Grandpa, I got to buy that Christmas gift from you. I got to work this off. I can't accept that until I go out and mow the yard and you know, clean up sticks. Then I'll come in and unwrap the present. That's nuts. But that's exactly what people do with God because they don't want to surrender to the person and the gift giver and the relationship that comes with it. And so you may be going home at Christmas and it may be very hard. Can I just tell you, Jesus said, don't assume and we keep assuming as Christians that if we walk with God, if we shine the light, everybody's going to be attracted to the light. Nobody's going to repel from it. They're all just going to come running to it. And that's just not the truth. Jesus says it exposes us. It's hard to look into that. 
that he is the great shepherd and he loves us. And then he goes on and he says this. A division took place and many of them were saying, he has a demon, he's crazy. Maybe that's what you're walking home to this Christmas season. I think my mom probably thought that about me many times. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're recognizing that Jesus is loving people, that yes, he gives these hard teachings, but it's like nobody surrenders their life more. Nobody gives more. Nobody says truth. Everybody's always trying to spin the truth to make themselves look better or to make the world look better, and this guy just says it. He just lays it out there. And people are refreshed by that, but they're also going, if he's right and the words that he's saying are true, then our world is way more messed up than we thought it was. So either he's right and the world, or he's right and the world is demon messed up, or he's demon messed up and the world's right. There's no middle ground with him. He says, I'm coming and making it clear. And so they're actually arguing about this. He goes on and he says this. John 10, says, after this, then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Welcome to winter. The festival of dedication is Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade was this beautiful courtyard on one side of the temple. It's disagreed upon necessarily which side, but it was a side of a temple that would have looked out over the city of Jerusalem. And he's walking in this colonnade. It would have been long with pillars on either side and a canopy. And he was walking back and forth, looking, ministering to people. People would come on the outside of the temple right there in Solomon's colonnade. And he was walking among the people and it says, then the Jews surrounded him. And asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. If you really are the one that was to come, then tell us plainly. He has been telling them plainly for a long time. This festival of lights that he's talking, he is walking back and forth, looking out over Jerusalem. I mean, it's like he's standing there as the light going out from the temple, looking, and the people are coming, and they don't say, man, we believe in you. They're questioning whether they really believe in him or not. They don't know how to answer everything he can do, his miracles and teachings, but they're questioning. Maybe you're here this morning questioning, can I trust this Christianity? Can I trust this God? Why, God, why won't God just tell me plainly? Can I tell you? God does tell you plainly. He just doesn't give you the answers you want. It's the same with these Jews. Jesus had been telling them plainly, but they didn't get the answer they want. You know the answer they wanted? Are you ready? The answer they wanted is, you're going to deliver us from COVID and make America great again. Oh, wait. You're going to deliver us from all our diseases and make Israel great again and rule the Romans. That's what the answer they were looking for. And Jesus gave them an answer of, yeah, there's going to be division and enemies and it's not going to be easy and you're going to die and they're going to persecute you and it's going to be rough. But then on the other hand, he gives these incredible teachings and he's healing people and doing these miracles and they see the light coming off of him of goodness and glory. And so they're struggling going, wow, if he really is who he says he is and I really believe what he says and live it, I am going to look like nothing that the world looks like and my questions are going to change and I am not going to get the answers I want. And that's where he's at. He's at this festival of lights. This would have been their Christmas. The festival of lights was not an Old Testament 
demanded holiday. There were three festivals that the males had to travel to Jerusalem and make sacrifices in the temple. Hanukkah was not one of those. Hanukkah was brought about because at the dedication of the second temple, the Maccabees had a victory over Greek oppression. Okay? That's what happened. And a miraculous event occurred in the temple, in the rededication of the temple, where the eternal flame, the oil of the lamps, burned for eight days when there was only one day worth of oil. The oil in the Bible always represents the Holy Spirit. God's pouring out His Spirit. And so the Festival of Lights was this celebration of an event that happened way later of what God had done. They had made a, an, an incredible holiday out of this. That's Christmas. Do you know that Jesus never asked us to celebrate his birthday? He demanded that we celebrate his death, which is why we're going to take communion today. But he never asked people to celebrate. We don't even know when his birthday was. Do you know that? Like, we're, we're not sure. Scholars disagree over what, what day it was. Oh, and by the way, if you think it's accurate, and it is December 25th, our calendar's not even accurate. we got to put in a leap day, and the time doesn't work. And if, you know, a couple, I think it was about 100 years ago, they had to add 11 days to the calendar out of nowhere. See, it's not about it's perfect and accurate. It's about the heart. And so Jesus is walking in the complex and the people come to him and say, tell us plainly, this great festival, this light, are you the light? Are you the Messiah? This is what John said about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. See, Jesus... John is writing about Jesus here, and he's saying Jesus is crucified. He has now ascended into heaven. But don't think that that's a win. That's a loss for the enemy because now death is defeated. And a resurrection in heaven await, the Bible says. And John writes, and he says, everything in the Bible, everything you have in that book was written by Jesus. So when they ask him, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah, well, I wrote the whole Bible. I don't think I can get any more plain than what I've already given you. You just don't like the answers. Isn't that true for you? I'm always amazed when people come to me and they ask me, what's God's will for my life? I just want to know God's will for my life. And I'm always like, no, you don't. They're like, no, no, really? I said, no, you want to know what career, what person to marry, what thing, what this, what that, that'll make you successful, comfortable, blah, blah. That's what you want to know. If you really want to know God's will, you got a full book full of it, and we can spend all day going through it together. And it will overwhelm you. And it will drive you to your knees to cry out to God, I can't do this. And God says, thank you. Now will you surrender to me so I can do it through you? And then you will begin the process of surrendering your life little by little, allowing God to shine the light into the darkest places you don't want to mess with so that he can change you and make you different and prepare you to be with him forever and show everyone what it's like to walk differently than the world around us. Jesus told them plainly, but because they didn't believe Jesus was the word, they didn't believe in Jesus, they didn't understand nor did they embrace his will and we're the same way. We just don't like the idea that this is going to be hard. 
He goes on and says this in Genesis 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. At the beginning of the foundation of the world, the book starts out with light. It starts out with light. We know that that's how creation started, energy. You gotta have energy. We're still arguing about energy today, are we not? We're still arguing about oil today. They were scared the oil was gonna run out, so are we. It's gonna run out, panicked. Revelation says this, at the end of the Bible, so we got the beginning of the Bible, the middle with John. Now, Revelation says, I did not see a sanctuary in this new city. There's going to be a new city that comes down. Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the the Lamb's book of life. Let me ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? See, Jesus is the Lamb that was slain. They would have been slaying lambs at this feast of dedication. They would have been giving offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus is walking back and forth saying, I am the lamb that's going to be slain for the world. I am going to be the ultimate sacrifices. All these other sacrifices are just temporary pictures of the ultimate commitment that I am going to make and show you that God is made to you. The question is, will you accept it or will you keep trying to do the old works, do the old things to try to earn my love? Because if you do that, you know what that makes you? A stalker. If you want the relationship on your terms and you're not willing to listen to the other person about the relationship and they're like, hey, here's how I would like to have a relationship and you blow through that and you're showing up in their living room and climbing in their windows and doing crazy stuff, that's called stalking. But if you've agreed to the terms of the relationship and that home is open to you, then you're open to the person and the things in that home. That's exactly what God offered through Christ, that he is the ultimate lamb that was slain. Revelation's favorite term to refer to Jesus is a lamb that was slain. That he paid the price that you owed and that I owed for my sin and my stupidity. Matthew 4 says this, Jesus left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is at the beginning of his ministry. He did this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali along the sea road beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, they didn't believe he was the Messiah because they didn't believe they needed to repent. They they thought all those Romans needed to repent. The Pharisees thought all those other Jews needed to repent. And Jesus came to the Pharisees and said, no, you need to repent. You're a whitewashed tomb. And they couldn't stand that. You see, repentance is simple. Repentance is just saying, I'm going this way and I'm going to change my direction and change my mind and go the opposite. That's repentance. 
It's saying, I want to do what I want to do, and God says to do that, and I'm going to say no to what I want to do, and say yes to God's relationship, yes to the family of God, yes to the things of God, and when I want to turn back to this, I've got a God and a family that's like, don't do it, come on, that's calling me to keep repenting. It's a beautiful picture, and that's what Jesus does. He's like, the kingdom of heaven is coming near. He goes on in John 10, 25. He says this to them about him being the Messiah. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish ever. That's kind of an emphatic in the Greek of never, ever, ever, right? And when, we, when, G, when God says never, ever, ever, it's not like when we say never, ever, ever, and then we break our word five minutes later. God really means it. And then he says, look, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. The father and I are one. Again, it says, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Again. That means this has happened more than once that they keep wanting to kill him, that he keeps declaring that he is God. He keeps declaring, not that he's just a Messiah. No, 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 no. See, they wanted to say, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. And And Jesus is like, I'll tell you plainly something way more deeper than Messiah. I am God. Hold on. We're okay with a Messiah Savior guy, you know, like us. God in the flesh? No. And so this is like, Multiple times in the scriptures, they pick up rocks because they're like, we got to kill this guy because he thinks he's God. So if anyone ever tells you that Jesus never declared he was God in the scriptures, ha, that's a joke. Because everybody knew what he was declaring all the time who were the religious leaders and wanted to kill him for it. Because he kept shining the light on their corruption, shining the light on their desperate need for God. And they didn't want it. He goes on and he says, Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. As they, they got stones in their hands. Which of these works are you going to stone me? Are you stoning me for? They answer, we aren't stoning you for good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself to be God. Jesus is not a good person. He's not a good man. He is God Almighty. Born into the world because there was no other option for us but to have a Savior that was different than us. That God was the only one that could pay the penalty for the sin that God said we had committed. And from the foundation of the world, when they created man, Jesus said, I'll pay the price. And then in our historical time frame, which God is outside of time and eternity, in our historical way, God entered into that moment and he saved us. So everyone in the Old Testament was looking forward to when God would save them because they knew they couldn't save themselves. And everybody currently looks back to when Jesus came to save us because we know we can't save ourselves. That is why his birth, his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection are absolutely essential to what we believe. Because he is either who he says he is or he is to be stoned. We can't just kind of have him hanging out and hanging around with us because he will not stand it. And the world won't stand it. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in Scripture says this, For God so loved the world in this way he gave his one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. You're already condemned. You're already going to perish. COVID's taught us that. You're not getting out alive. The question is, will you get out eternally and spiritually alive? You're not getting out of this life alive. But is there a life to come that you can live forever in peace and love? And the answer to that is absolutely. And he goes, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When you're trying to get away with something, do you do it in broad daylight or do you hide? For those of you on a diet, do you wait till the whole family's home and break out the ice cream? Start eating it out of the tub right in front of everybody sitting on the couch? Or do you wait till everybody's in bed? I'm going to stay up a few more minutes. See, we love the darkness. We love to hide. We don't want to be exposed because deep down inside, we know how needy and desperate we are. And God says, I know too. I'm the one that exposed you, but I also want to bring you into that light and love you and clean you up and make you who I want you to be. And that's exactly what he says. And he goes on in John and says this. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it. Notice he says practices wicked things. He doesn't say you would commit a wicked act. There's a difference between practicing something and committing something, right? There's a difference between after service, you're going to see basketballs come out when the kids come downstairs and they're shooting baskets. A ball's going to roll near you. You're going to pick it up and your tendency is going to be to what? What are you going to want to do with it? Yeah, I'm going to try to shoot a basket maybe. Or you're embarrassed and like, I don't want anyone to see me shoot a basket, right? I mean, you're going to try to shoot a basket. You're going to just put, here you go. There's a difference between picking a ball up, shooting a basket, and going on with your life than there is of, I'm not going to help anybody. I'm going to start practicing my game right now and steal the ball from these little kids, and you don't get it because I'm taller than you, and dunk over them. Right? There's a difference between a little, you know, one and the other. It's the same with our sin. And then he says this. The reason he avoids it is because he doesn't want the deeds to be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, and Jesus is the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. See, this is the beauty. You don't come to God with your works and say, look at all the light I give. Look at all the light I've done. Look at everything I've done, God, because God says your works are like filthy rags. What you do is you come to God and you say, look at all you've done. Look at all you've accomplished through me. Look at all the light that you've poured into me that's gone out. God, I'm just so grateful. I'm so thankful you did this, and you did this, and you did this. It's not me. It's you. It's your people. It's not us. And we keep running around in our culture telling people, you, 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 you did it. You deserve it. You. No, you don't. He did it. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. And Jesus says, if you want to know if you're walking in the light, who do you talk about? Who do you give credit to? Because if, if you know that, it'll show up. When your finances are in front of you, who did you give your finances to? Why did you give them? Your time. How did you spend your time? 
We just don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to tell us how to do relationships, how to do money, how to do time because it exposes what we really believe deep down inside and who we really are and we are scared to death of the light because we don't know the love of God, we don't know the love of Jesus and we're not surrendered. And if we'll surrender to him, we know we can go to him even when we've messed up, even when we're a disaster and say, God, I know I may end up getting stoned the good way, not the bad way. I may... Both are bad. I may, I may end up, whatever happens to me, but I trust you. You are the light. Everywhere I go, it's always twisted and darkness, and I'm coming back to you. So who do you say your works are accomplished by? Do you, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you experienced the light of God to come into your life? You say, God, here I am. I'm exposed. I, I'm a sinner. I'm I'm yours. We're getting ready to take communion. Communion is when Jesus came into the world and he put himself on full display on a cross. A place where we deserve to be for our sins and our rebellion and our treason against God Almighty. And Jesus said, all pay the price. All take their place. He died in our place and then he came back to life. A bright light shone in the resurrection. He came back to life to say that there is hope for us, and then he sent the power of the Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us the ability to live the Christian life. And communion is the remembrance, the bread on the top and the wine underneath. See, we need to remember that we are not God, but we are to shine that he is God. And we are to shine what God has accomplished in and through us that we didn't do on our own. And that's what communion reminds us of. A verse for you in 1 Corinthians says, this was Paul writing, he said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, which we keep passing on for thousands of years. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took bread. He gave thanks. He's getting ready to die and be persecuted and pay for your sin. And Jesus is giving thanks that he gets to accomplish what God wants accomplished for you and for me. He's not complaining. He's not griping. He's saying, thank you, Lord, that finally I get to do the thing I've been waiting to do for thousands of years, which is to now give full clarity to people that there is a way to be saved and to be loved by God Almighty. What a heart. And then he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. That was the cup of judgment. And he said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It's not no longer the blood of animals that were temporary. I'm shedding my own blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christmas is such a tragic event because it's the realization that this little beautiful baby that was born was born to be dead. But so are you. So am I. We're born knowing that we're going to die. He goes on and says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, you're judging. You're saying, I believe this, but in your heart you really don't believe it. Don't do that. Just be honest. If you're not a believer, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, don't take communion because it's just a lie, and I don't want to make you a liar. 
Don't do it. Just be honest with yourself and God and say, I'm not sure I do believe this. Great, praise the Lord. I pray that he would reveal his light and I pray that you would move towards the light instead of darkness. But if you're ready to commit your life to Jesus this morning and you're like, man, I see the light now. I am ready to surrender. I'm ready to say, I want your love. I want your forgiveness. I want your grace. I want to be yours. I want to be a part of a family that's, that's unified around the, the belief of God and Jesus. If that's you and you pray that prayer, you can take communion right now. Because in your heart, you're surrendering to him and saying, I am his. And for those of us who are believers, we should examine our hearts when we go to the communion table. Is there anything we're not allowing God to expose to the light? We're supposed to sit and take communion and be reminded, why are we hiding? He's paid for it. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend like he doesn't love you or care about you or doesn't want you. You can go to the communion table and say, I'm not hiding this anymore, Lord. I I surrender. I'm yours. The other thing we're going to do as we take communion is we're going to do our special offering. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. By the way, he's talking about finances here, but that's not just a financial principle, right? If you're a generous person in relationships, you'll typically have a lot of relationships. If you're a stingy person, you probably won't have many relationships. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, out of necessity. In other words, well, everybody else is given, so I have to. It's one of the reasons why we don't pass an offering plate in our church. Because growing up, I would watch the person next to me scramble around in their wallet to find some money to throw in and be like, no. Don't give like that, the Bible says. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You may accomplish what he wants you to accomplish and shine his light. So we're going to take a moment. I'm going to take communion. The body is broken for you. The blood is shed for you. The way we do communion in this church is pretty simple. You're going to get up when you're ready. You'll move to either of the side tables. There's a little cup that has a wafer on top. You peel that off. Remember that that is his body that was broken for you. And that he is going to give you a new body someday when this one's gone. Then you take that blood. It's not really blood, grape juice. It's representing the blood. And you drink that in remembrance of what he shed for you. Remembering that one day the Bible says that the robes are going to be washed in his blood white as snow. And he is going to clothe us. And we remember that. And thank him and we praise him for that. And if you're ready to give your special offering, if you've prayed about that, we only take two offerings a year publicly that aren't just the box, the special offering and the missions offering, then we'd encourage you to come up and put your offering in the box as well as a praise and thanksgiving to God. Let me pray and then we'll take communion and give. Father, we come before you because you've shown the light of your son and we thank you that you've given us everything. We don't deserve anything. And so we give you praise and glory and honor that's due your name, that this has been your plan since the foundation of the world and since man walked away from you and instead of repenting and turning towards you, they turned towards what they wanted. They said, my will be done instead of saying, God, your will be done. Jesus, thank you that the plan, you knew that was going to happen, that the plan of the heavenly family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been to pay the penalty that was owed. And in the Old Testament, people looked forward to that. Now we look back 
and all of human history looks forward to the day when you come back finally and forever. We're unified together in that belief. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, I pray they would surrender their heart to you once and for all. They would just be done. They would repent. They would turn to you and say, I'm just done living the way I'm living. And that they would ask you to come into their life. They would say, I surrender and know that now the process of discipleship begins, becoming a person who understands what a relationship and a disciple looks like with our God. For those of us who are believers, help us to deal with our hearts. Help us to, to see your generosity in the communion table and give thanks. And help us if you're calling us to. Maybe not everybody is called to give today. But if you're calling us to give, I pray that you would help us to see that we're not giving to FX Church. We're not giving to whatever ministry we like. We are actually putting our offering in and giving it to you. We're entrusting it to others because we believe in you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We praise you. And so in this moment, help us to surrender our hearts and come to you fully in your name. Amen.